praise to Sri Guru and Gauranga. All glories to Sri I think we may go further than we go up to 85 instead of 77. So today is what, 19? Yes? October 19, 2014, in Radhadesh, reading from Sri Chaitanya Charitamrita. Madhavila chapter 23, Life's Ultimate Goal. Uh, we're going to go from 66. I had told Lana who was 66 to 77. He told me to go as far as I can go. So do as much as you can. <laughs> um, but... Yeah, we're going to go through 85. So somebody, should, after you finish, somebody should note that, that we've gone through 85. It's 77, it's on the board. Jai Jai Shri Chaitanya Jai Chananda That's really easy. What does that mean? Rajendra Nandana Krishna Nayaka Shiromani Nayikara Shiromani Radha Thakurani. That's really, really, really easy. What's a Nayika? Hero. Hero. Shiromani. Jewel on the a jewel on the head, sir. It means head. Money means jewel. So the top, the jewel on the head, like the crown jewel. Like that. So what does that first mean? Let's try again. Rajendra Nandana Krishna Naika Shiromani Naikara Shiromani Radha Thakurani. Yes. So Krishna is the crown jewel of heroes and Radharani is the crown jewel of heroines. The translation. Lord Krishna, the supreme personality of Godhead, who appeared as the son of Nandamaraj, the supreme hero in all dealings. Similarly, Srimati Radharani is the topmost heroine in all dealings. 67. Krishna is the supreme personality of Godhead himself, and he is the crown jewel of all heroes. In Krishna, all transcendental good qualities are permanently situated. This is also in the Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu 2117, text 68. The transcendental goddess Srimati Radharani is a direct counterpart of Lord Sri Krishna. She is the central figure for all the goddesses of fortune. She possesses all the attraction to attract the all attractive personality of Godhead. She is the primal internal potency of the Lord. 
purport. This text is found in the Brihad Gotamiya Tantra for an explanation, see Adi Lila 483.95. So this is a very common technique here that Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is using. He's first giving the essence and then he's extrapolating on it with evidences. So Krishna is the supreme heroine, Radha is the supreme Krishna is the supreme hero, Radha is the supreme heroine, and here's more explanation. And now he's going to go into more. So he give the summary, then a little bit more explanation. Now he's going to give a lot more explanation. Why should we accept? So now he's going to delineate Krishna's 64 qualities, and after that, Radharani's 25 qualities. So text 69 is Ananta Krishna Guna. So what does that mean? Ananta Krishna Guna. Unlimited Krishna's unlimited qualities. And she's not Goswami commenting on the 14th chapter, I think, 50-something, of the 10th canto. says, Krishna's qualities are unlimited and the jivas are unlimited. And each jiva is particularly attracted to one of Krishna's qualities. So text 69, the transcendental qualities of Lord Krishna are unlimited. Out of these, 64 are considered prominent. The ears of the devotees are satisfied simply by hearing all these qualities one after another. Text 70. Krishna, the supreme hero, has the most beautiful transcendental body. This body possesses all good features. It is radiant and very pleasing to the eyes. His his body is powerful, strong, and youthful. Purport this verse and the following six verses are also found in the Bhakti Rasamita Sindhu 2.1.23-29. So that's also something I pointed out a few weeks ago about this section of the Chaitanya Charitamrita. These are the instructions of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu to Sanatana Goswami. But where do we find this expanded in the works of Rupa Goswami? I don't know why. So these verses in this section are all expanded in Rupa Goswami's Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu or Ujjwala Nilamani. Text 71. Krishna is the linguist of all wonderful languages. He is a truthful and very pleasing speaker. He is expert. Actually, I want you guys to try to remember these because I'm going to ask you to list some and then choose ones that you want us to talk about, okay? So can you have your minds check in? Is that okay? All right. Krishna is the linguist of all wonderful languages. He is truthful, very pleasing speaker. He is expert in speaking, and he's a very wise, learned scholar and a genius. Text 72. He's very expert in artistic enjoyment, highly cunning, expert in general, grateful, firmly determined in his vows. He knows how to deal according to time, person, and country, and he sees through the scriptures and authoritative books. He's very clean and self-controlled. 73. Lord Krishna is steady, his senses are controlled, and he is forgiving, brave, and calm. He is also equal to all. Moreover, he is magnanimous, religious, chivalrous, and kind. He is always respectful to respectable people. 74. Krishna is very simple and liberal. He is humble and bashful, and he is the protector of all the surrendered souls. He is very happy. And he is always the well-wisher of his devotees. He is all auspicious, and he is submissive to love. 
75. Krishna is very influential and famous, and he's the object of attachment for everyone. He is the shelter of the good and the virtuous. He is attractive to the minds of women, and he is worshipped by everyone. He is very, very rich. <laughs> 76. Krishna is the supreme, and he is always glorified as a supreme lord and controller. As all the previously mentioned transcendental qualities are in him. The 50 qualities of the supreme personality of God had mentioned above are as deep as an ocean. In other words, they are difficult to fully comprehend. So this is the first 50, and now, before we go on to the rest, there's going to be a little break with another point, which is the verse that's on the board. Anybody have any idea what this verse means? The first 50 qualities also shared by Jivas, yes. Jive Sheteva Santopi Bindu Bindu Tayakvachit Paripurnatataya Banti Tatraya Purushotame Sometimes. Paripurnataya. With fullness. 
Manti, are manifested, Tatra, in him, Eva, certainly, Purusha Uttame, in the Supreme Personality of God. Translation for Purpashita. These qualities are sometimes very minutely exhibited in living beings, but they are fully manifested in the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Purport. This verse is found in the Bhakti Rasamri to Sindhu 2.130. Living entities are parts and parcels of the Supreme Personality of Godhead, as the Lord states in the Bhagavad Gita 15.7. Mamayamsa Jiva Loke Jiva Bhutta Sanatana Manasasthanandriyani Prakriti Sankarsati. The living entities in this conditioned world are my eternal fragmental parts due to, due to conditioned life. They are struggling very hard with the six senses, which include the mind. The qualities of Krishna are present in the living entities in minute atomic quantities. A small portion of gold is certainly gold, but it cannot be equal to a gold mine. Similarly, the living entities have all the characteristics of the Supreme Personality of Godhead in minute quantity, but the living entity is never equal to the Supreme Personality of Godhead. God is therefore described as a supreme being, and the living entity is described as a jiva. God is described as a supreme being, the chief of all living beings, because he is supplying the necessities of all others. The Mayavadis maintain that everyone is God, but even if this philosophy is accepted, no one can maintain that everyone is equal to the supreme personality of Godhead in every respect. Only unintelligent men maintain that everyone is equal to God or that everyone is God. So we have these 50 qualities. Although it's in minute degree, that's because we're minute. Right? I talked about this before. That this cup is very small relative to all of existence, yes? Okay, it's extremely small, uh, but it's full of water. You just have to trust me on that, because if I show you, I'll spill it, but it really is full of water. So the amount of water in this cup is also minute, but the cup is full. So, now it's not full. So, we are minute, and therefore the godly qualities, the qualities of God we have are also minute, but we are full of those qualities. It's not that we have them in a minute degree relative to ourselves. It's not like... Well, as perfected beings, we're a little clever. As perfected beings, we're fully clever. But we're fully, fully clever in terms of ourself, who's very small. So we have all those qualities. Isn't that nice? Yes? What are some of the qualities we have? Somebody remember some of these 50 qualities? Grateful. What some others? Hmm? Truthful. Clever. Huh? Very, very rich. Oh, you remember that one. Bashful. Bashful. Protective. What? Protective. Protective. Okay. Highly cunning. Highly cunning. What? Cunning. Cunning. Somebody else over here? Submissive. Submissive. To elders. Somebody else over here? Simple. Simple. Okay. Now we're going to go on. 78. Apart from these 50 qualities, there are five other qualities found in the Supreme Personality of Godhead that are partially present in demigods like Shiva. Purport. This verse and the following seven verses are also found in the Bhakti Vasamrita Sindhu 2.1.37-44. Text 79-81. These qualities are... One, the Lord is always situated in his original position. Two, he is omniscient. 
Three, he is always fresh and youthful. Four, he is the concentrated form of eternity, knowledge, and bliss. And five, he is the possessor of all mystic perfection. There are another five qualities which exist in the Vaikuntha planets in Narayana. So those five are by Krishna and Shiva. There's another five qualities which exist in the Vaikuntha planets in Narayana, the Lord of Lakshmi. These qualities are also present in Krishna, but they are not present in demigods like Lord Shiva or in other living entities. These are one, the Lord possesses inconceivable supreme power. Two, he generates innumerable universes from his body. So even in our perfected state, we don't have innumerable universes coming out of our body. Three, he is the original source of all incarnations. We are never the original source of all incarnations. Four, he bestows salvation upon enemies he kills. So it doesn't happen with us. If I kill you, I just get bad karma. And you suffer. I don't, it's not a benediction for either of us. If Krishna kills somebody, he doesn't get any bad karma. And that person gets liberated. Five, he has the ability to attract exalted persons who are satisfied in themselves. So Krishna can attract even the Atmaramas. Although these qualities are present in Narayana, the dominating deity of the Vaikuntha planets, they are even more wonderfully present in Krishna. Text 82 to 83. Apart from these 60 transcendental qualities, Krishna has an additional four transcendental qualities which are not manifested even in the personality of Narayana. Now, it's not that Narayana doesn't have these, because if Narayana didn't have them, then we'd, we'd be polytheistic. So, Vishnu Tattva is all Vishnu Tattva. We're not saying there's more than one God. But Narayana doesn't manifest them. Something like, something like, when you go to work, you don't manifest ever certain qualities that you manifest at home. You never manifest them at work. Just absolutely never. Now that doesn't mean that they don't exist in you, but it means in that situation, you simply don't show them. Does that make sense to everybody? And as soon as you would show them, you wouldn't be really at work anymore. So as soon as the Lord shows them, then he's Krishna. As soon as he manifests them, then he's Krishna. Is that the same person? It's a different person. So they're not manifested even in the personality of Narayana. These are, one, Krishna is like an ocean filled with waves of pastimes that evoke wonder within everyone in the three worlds. Two, in his activities of conjugal love, he is always surrounded by his dear devotees who possess unequal love for him. Three, he attracts the minds of all three worlds with the melodious vibration of his flute. Now that's not to say that nobody else is a flute player except for Krishna. The coward boys play flutes. Right. Sometimes the gopis play flutes. I wouldn't be surprised if residents of Vaikuntha play flutes mentioned in the Riyad Bhagavatamrita, that when Gopakumar is in Vaikuntha, he's also playing flute. But only Krishna's flute has this ability to attract the minds of everybody. So when one of the coward boys plays his flute, it's not necessarily that everybody in the whole universe becomes stumped. Krishna plays his flute. Everybody. And you can imagine right, some modern musician. We have had some musicians where they just, you know, play one chord on the guitar, <laughs> and all of a sudden millions of women start screaming. Right? They scream so loud that you can't hear the second chord on the guitar. <laughs> but Krishna's flute can attract everybody. 
you know, with some musician like that, so maybe millions of women are screaming, but millions of other women say, huh? <laughs> What's that all about? And they're not very interested. But with Krishna, everyone is interested. For his personal beauty and opulence are beyond compare. No one is equal to him, and no one is greater than him. Thus, the personality of Godhead astonishes all living entities, both moving and non-moving within the three worlds. He is so beautiful that he is called Krishna. Purport. Mayavadi philosophies, philosophers who have a poor fund of knowledge simply dismiss the subject by explaining that Krishna means black, which is one meaning of the word Krishna. Not understanding the qualities of Krishna, these atheistic rascals do not accept him as the supreme personality of Godhead. Although the Lord is described and accepted by great personalities, acharyas, and sages, the Mayavadis still do not appreciate him. Unfortunately, at the present moment, human society is so degraded that people cannot even provide themselves with life's daily necessities. Yet they are captivated by Mayavadi philosophers and are being misled. According to the Bhagavad Gita, simply by understanding Krishna, one can get free from the cycle of birth and death. Unfortunately, this great science of Krishna consciousness has been impeded by Mayavadi philosophers who are opposed to the personality of Godhead. Those who are preaching this Krishna consciousness movement must try to understand Krishna from the statements given in the Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, Nectar of Devotion. Text 84-85. Above Narayana, Krishna has four specific, this is like a summary. Above Narayana, Krishna has four specific transcendental qualities. Oh, what were those again? We just read them, I don't remember. What were they again? Pastimes and? His associates and food and personal beauty. Okay, above Narayana, Krishna has four specific transcendental qualities. His wonderful pastimes, an abundance of wonderful associates who are very dear to him, like the gopis. His wonderful beauty and the wonderful vibration of his flute. Lord Krishna is more exalted than ordinary living beings and demigods like Lord Shiva. He's even more exalted than his personal expansion, Narayana. In all, the Supreme Personality of Godhead has 64 transcendental qualities in full. Prabhupada, you're talking about the Mayavadis. I remember when I first uh, was staying in the ashram of a Hare Krishna temple, and a lot of the purports in the classes were talking about these Mayavadis, or these impersonalists. And after a couple of months, I got a little tired of it. I'm like, why are they always talking about these Mayavadis? What is this, just some group in India? You know, why, why do we care about these Mayavadis? And after you know, maybe another month or so, I realized, oh, they're all over the world, but I'm one of them. So this, this Mayavadi means saying that God has no form. God has no form, that God has no qualities, no personal qualities. And this has become, as Prabhupada saying here, or that God is a material body, that people cannot even get the basic necessities of life. You know, that even that materially people are suffering. Most people cannot even eat real food anymore, isn't it? How many people eat real food? I saw something interesting the other day where they bought a bunch of hamburgers from different um, restaurants, like 10 different restaurants, and they left each of them in a jar for 30 days, and like McDonald's didn't get any mold or rot on it even after 30 days. Not the bread, not the meat, nothing, you know. What kind of bread is it that you leave it sitting around for 30 days and it doesn't rot? Well, that means that you can't digest it either, isn't it? 
You know, if the microbes in the air can't digest it, the microbes in your gut can't digest it. You know, you wonder what in the world is made out of. So people, are, and they're even advertising it's not real food. They say this is food with no calories. That means that there's no the calories is, is what that's the burn value in the stomach. You know, we we have a chemical fire. We burn our food for heat and and health. So no calories means there's there's nothing to burn. It's like saying wood that won't burn. People make fires like that too. They have fake wood, right? With a little electric light behind it. But that's not going to give you any warmth. So they're eating food that's not food. People are not eating real food and then they become so sick. Isn't it? Houses are flimsy. People don't have proper life partners, many people are not marrying now till 30, 35, 40, they still haven't found anybody. Then when they find somebody, it doesn't work out, the person leaves them, runs off with somebody else. So people don't even have any stability in their, in their family life. Uh, people get, get finding it harder and harder to have children. You know, now the companies are saying to the women, if you want to work for us, we'll freeze your eggs for you. <laughs> Hare Krishna. So you can do your career when you're at the height of your fertility. And then they're warning that frozen eggs may not work, you know. You may not be able at 45 to unfreeze your eggs and have your babies. So people, they're not even getting the basic necessities of life. Even eating, sleeping, mating, and defending. Defending, you know, that you go in London, in central London, and the policemen just put up signs. Warning, thieves are in this area. Thanks. And what are you doing, sir? So even just basic eating, sleeping, mating, and defending is not being taken care of properly. Oh, it's sleeping. So I don't know what it's like here, but in America, the government often mandates that the mattresses and the beds are flame retardant. You know, they won't start a fire, but to make them flame retardant, they have to pour chemicals into all the bedding. So, you know, while you're sleeping, you're getting poisoned by all these chemicals. So not even the basic necessities of life. And yet, when they speculate about God, they say that God is formless. And God has no qualities. Of course, we talked about last time some of the qualities of God mentioned uh, in other religious systems. What qualities of God are mentioned, like in the Bible and the Quran? Powerful. So we do have powerful. What else? Merciful. Omniscient. Creator, eternal, eternal. loving, Loving. angry, Angry. (laughs) and jealous, (laughs) loving, angry, jealous. So we have some qualities mentioned, but it's, it's quite interesting that even though there are some qualities mentioned, that most of the main religions of the world have some strong aspects of impersonalism. Like the Jews and the Muslims say that God has no form, and you cannot dare to imagine that God has a form. So in Islam and Judaism, they say the greatest defense is to say that God has any kind of a form. And the uh, one branch of Islam is so against form that you can't even depict material forms in art. You can't even depict a flower or, or something like that. No forms. And then you have the Christians who certainly talk about uh, God having a form. But they talk about that Jesus is God and that Jesus has a material form. So they're saying that God has a material body that suffers. 
So this is another, to say that God takes a material body and suffers is also a kind of Mayavad philosophy. And then you have the Buddhists who say there's no God at all, everything's just void. I mean, it's different branches of Buddhism, but many of them say that we don't even exist as a self. You know, what is it that reincarnates is very unclear because we don't really have a self. We're not really a self. So these are the main philosophies of the world today. And unfortunately, you know, even though we can say that they're preaching theism, which they certainly are, and that they even preach love of God, it's very, how do you love a formless God? You know, how do you do that? And how does a formless God even, it, it, it's so inconsistent, you know, how does a formless God have love and power and omniscience? And those are qualities of a person. Those are not qualities of formlessness. So, of course, if you look in those scriptures, you'll find that the original teachings in those religions were not like that. The original teachings in those religions were very personal. Like in the Bible, it says, Moses saw God face to face like a friend speaks with another friend. So they were very personal. What to speak of the Song of Solomon with a detailed description of the form of God. But in time, they become impersonal. And, of course, this has happened also in the Vedic tradition. It's happened also in our own tradition that Sankaracharya went, it's not that we're just pointing fingers at other traditions, but in our own tradition, Sankaracharya went through the scriptures and reinterpreted everything personally. Very much like what Maimonides did with the Bible, practically a parallel, what Maimonides did with the Old Testament and what Sankaracharya did with the Vedas. Just went through, and any reference to personalism was reinterpreted metaphorically. You know, God writes on the tablets of stone with his finger, well, then he must have a finger. That's the, the reasonable, logical explanation. And Maimonides said, no, 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 that's, that's just poetry. And, and the same kind of thing that Sankaracharya did. All these qualities of God, this is just to facilitate your meditation because you're conditioned, so you need something to think about, and thinking about Krishna playing his flute. And, you know, it's, it's just some kind of poetic metaphor, and you'll also, you know, you just merge into the light and become one. So this impersonalism has contaminated all of the religions of the world. They've all become somewhat voidous or impersonal. And this is one of the reasons that people in the world have turned to secularism. You know, we have a, a paper that we read in Sociology of Religion that secularism comes from making an absolute difference between God and the world, that the, tran the totally transcendent religions, such as Protestant Christianity, push this idea of separatism between God and the world, whereas the older religions had some idea that God was also present in the world. Of course, we say, But not only is saying that God is, you know, there's God over there and there's the world over here, but also when you say that God over there is just amorphous, then why should one have any interest in that God? And why should I have any interest in love of God if what love of God means is simply I become nothing, I lose myself? I mean, there's sometimes where we're suffering so much in the world that maybe we want to lose ourselves. You know, maybe our suffering is so great that we think, oh, let me commit suicide and lose myself and cease to exist in some way. Let me just take some, you know, heavy intoxicant and forget who I am. And let me just go to sleep and forget who I am. So there's sometimes in this world where maybe we're suffering so much 
that we think that to destroy the self would be pleasing. But it's not really that we want to destroy the self, we really want to be happy. You know, if somebody could come along and say, well, instead of committing suicide or taking this drug or going to sleep, if your problems could be solved, would you prefer that? Well, of course. You know, the guy standing on the bridge ready to jump off, if you said, hey, I can solve all your problems, then there's no point in jumping off the bridge anymore. So occasionally self-abnegation may be attractive. But in general, we want to exist, we want to be happy, we want to have relationships, we want to have all of these good qualities. So if we say that perfection means having no qualities, I mean, again, we may become disgusted with our bad qualities. We may see that we're greedy or envious or angry or something and say, I wish I could just have no qualities. But I don't think generally we want to have no qualities, do we? Anybody want to be just like nothing? Just be blah? So these impersonalistic philosophies say that the ultimate perfection is just nothing. You have no sense of self, you have no qualities, you have no activities, you have no relationships, and therefore people go towards the material. I'd rather have a material identity and material activities and material qualities, even though they're troublesome and they're mixed and they're pretty awful, rather than just this nothingness, even if it's more peaceful. Yes? You know, when people want to relax from their daily life, sometimes they just sit, you know, and they're just peaceful. But generally they engage in other kinds of activities. I know nowadays there's this whole entertainment industry where you can pretend you're absorbed in somebody else's problems, which is quite interesting. You know, you can pretend that you're absorbed in saving the world from somebody who's going to blow up the planet or something like that. In other words, one one tries to get an escape from their activities by being absorbed in activities. That's what we want. So why not be absorbed in reality, in real activities? Well, this is our Krishna conscious philosophy, and we're really, I mean, we just have to say, frankly, objectively, that there's not very many religious systems in the world that are teaching that God is a person and teaching the activities of God and qualities of God and what is the nature of the spiritual world. There just aren't very many. Either they're saying that it doesn't exist, there aren't any, or they're saying we don't know. So I thought we could look through a few qualities here, Krishna. We have our nectar devotion here. Prabhupada keeps referring us to nectar devotion, to Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu. So any particular quality of Krishna that anybody would like to? Yes. Cunning. We have genius and clever. It may actually be one of those. That's just translated differently. Yeah, I think so. So we'll read genius and clever. So genius. A person is called a genius when he can refute any kind of opposing element with newer and newer arguments. This is also one of our qualities as a pure soul. Wouldn't that be nice? Have you ever heard an argument and thought, I wish I had a response to that? Or you think of a response like a week later? Has that ever happened? Ah, I should have said that. There's stories about Lord Chaitanya. 
uh, when he was a teacher, that he would make a, an argument and then he would defeat his own argument and then he would defeat the defeat of his own argument and then he would go on and on and on. In this connection, there is a statement in Pajavali which contains the following conversation between Krishna and Radha. Anybody remember what this is about? One morning, when Krishna came to Radha, Radha asked him, My dear Kesha, where is your Vasa at present? The Sanskrit word Vasa has three meanings, residence, fragrance, and dress. What do you think she was asking him? Yes. Actually, Radharani inquired from Krishna, where is your dress? It was like this morning Vikram woke up, he couldn't find his sweatshirt. Hey, where's your sweatshirt? Hey, Krishna, where's, where's your chatter? But Krishna took the meaning as residence, and he replied to Radharani, My dear captivated one, at the present moment my residence is in your beautiful eyes. <laughs> to this Radharani replied, My dear cunning boy, I did not ask you about your residence, I inquired about your dress. Krishna then took the meaning of Vasa's fragrance and said, My dear fortunate one, I have just assumed this fragrance in order to be associated with your body. Shimati Radharani again inquired from Krishna, Where did you pass your night? The exact, oh, you can understand why she was asking him this question is where are you dressed and where did you pass your night? The exact Sanskrit word used in this connection was yamin yamushita. Yamin yam means at night, and mushita means pass. Krishna, however, divided the word yamin yamushita into two separate words, namely yaminya and mushita. By dividing this word into two, it came out to mean that he was kidnapped by Yamini or night. Krishna therefore replied to Radharani, My dear Radharani, is it possible that night can kidnap me? In this way, he was answering all the questions of Radharani so cunningly that he gladdened this dearest of the gopis. So first she was annoyed with him, I think. Huh? Where's your clothes? Where were you last night? But he was, so, uh, he was such a genius that he answered in such a funny way that she had to laugh. I remember we were talking about that last time about the separation by mana. It's destroyed by smiling. So he got a bit of smile. Okay, then under clever, a person who can perform various types of work at once is called clever. Now we tried to do that. Do you know we don't actually do that, right? You know that? We're actually, we can jump back and forth, but we're actually just doing one thing at a time. Now as liberated souls, we can do that. Do you know that, that the liberated pure soul can also expand themselves? Did you know? So Narada Muni answers this of Gopal Kumar in Brihad Bhagavatam. And Prabhupada says this also in a letter where he says that the liberated souls can expand themselves and be in more than one place at once, in more than one form at once, doing more than one thing at once. And we see this, right, I mentioned this before, like in Chaitanya Leela, some of the many, actually, of the devotees in Chaitanya Leela are also devotees in Krishna Leela. But Krishna Leela is going on eternally, right? It's not like Krishna Leela stops. And Chaitanya Leela goes on, okay, everybody, switch back. Like some quick costume change. You ever been in a drama where you had a quick costume change or somebody had a quick costume change? You know, you... They play one part and they go off the stage and they change their costume and they come on another part and they go off and they change their costume. I one time took my students to see Macbeth, the whole Macbeth play by only five actors. And they had costumes that they could like move around so they could play many, many parts. So they're like, you know, moving the costume this way and then this, move the costume this way. But no, it's not like that. They're in Krishna Leela and they're in Chaitanya Leela and some of them are also in Ram Leela. 
So again, it's not that Ram Lila has just stopped, it's just vacant. You know, Ram looks around, where's all my monkeys? Oh, they're coward boys right now. You know, and then Krishna looks around, where's all my coward boys? Oh, they're with Lord Chaitanya. You know, we have to wait till they come back before you can go. No, they're in all three places simultaneously. And if Prabhupada says that the, the liberated soul can expand, wouldn't you like to do that? Wouldn't that be fun? When I was a kid, I wanted to do that when I was in school. School was so boring to me most of the time. I thought, okay, if I can have, you know, one self in school and one self at the beach. <laughs> so, clever. A person who can perform various types of work at once is called clever. In this connection, one of the gopis said, My dear friends, just see the clever activities of Krishna. He has composed nice songs about the cowherd boys and is pleasing the cows. By the movements of his eyes, he is pleasing the gopis. At the same time, he is fighting the demons like Aristasura. In this way, he is, he is sitting with different living entities in different ways, and he is thoroughly enjoying the situation. <laughs> so here Krishna, at one time, is reciprocating with all different living entities in all different relationships. So this is, is difficult. Again, in conditioned life, it's difficult to do that. If you're in the mood of, of talking to your husband or wife, that's a different mood than you have talking to your kids, a different mood you have talking to your boss, right? Like, I, I notice that certain services that I do, I get into a very different mood. You know, I can get into this very, like, official mood. All right, this is... Right, and then some friends walk in the room while you're doing that, then how do you switch? And Krishna's doing it all at the same time. He's with the cows... Cowherd boys, gopis, and demon, all at the same time. Like we have Krishna goes into the wrestling arena of Kamsa, right? And everybody sees him in a different way, but all at the same time. So that's very clever. It's very, very clever. Each, each person is getting that reciprocation. Okay, some other quality of Krishna somebody would like us to look at. Merciful. Merciful. Must be translated a different way here. So I'm not sure. You might be able to figure it out by the order. That was in one of the 50, right? Youthful, linguist, speaking scholar, magnanimous religious. So it's right before religious. Ah, magnanimous. Any person who is very charitably disposed is called magnanimous. When Krishna was reigning over Dwarka, he was so magnanimous and charitably disposed that there was no limit to his charity. In fact, so great was his charity in Dwarka 
that even the spiritual kingdom with all of its opulence of Tintomini, touchstone desire trees, and Surabi cows was surpassed. In the spiritual kingdom of Lord Krishna named Goloka Vrindavan, there are Surabi cows that give unlimited quantities of milk. There are desire trees from which anyone can take all kinds of fruits, as much as he may desire. The land is made of touchstone, which when touched to iron, will transform it into gold. In other words, although in the spiritual kingdom, the abode of Krishna, everything is wonderfully opulent, still when Krishna was in Dwarka, his charity exceeded the opulences of Goloka Vrindavan. Wherever Krishna is present, the limitless opulence of Goloka Vrindavan is automatically present. It is also stated that while Krishna was living in Dwarka, he expanded himself into 16,108 forms, and each and every expansion resided in a palace with a queen. Not only was Krishna happily living with his queens in those palaces, but he was giving in charity from each palace an aggregate number. Anyone knows how many cows he was giving away every day from each palace? 16. No. It's an odd, it's a strange, it's an even number, but it's a strange number. Why this particular number? I'm sure there's some reason. 13,054. Doesn't seem like a peculiar number. From each palace every day, Krishna gave away 13,054 cows. Must be some significance to that number. Completely decorated with nice clothing and ornaments. So the cows had, you know, silk blankets on and gold jewelry. From each of Krishna's 16,108 palaces, these cows were given daily. This means 13,054 multiplied by 16,108 cows. Anybody want to do the math? We're being given in charity by Krishna every day. Anybody have a device here they can do the math for that? 13,054 times 16,108. No one can estimate the value of such a large number of cows given in charity. You wonder where they put them all in Dorka. And every day. 54 is half a hundred. 54 is half a hundred. 54 is half a hundred. But 13 is not half of 60. But 54 is half a hundred. But that was the system of Krishna's daily affairs when he was reigning in Dwarka. Anybody do the math yet? 13,054 times 16,108? Come on, somebody's got a device here. I can't read the number. It's 2107 3832. 210 
very much, do we? I, I think that the, the lack of this quality, being ungrateful, is probably something that gives us right near the top of pain it's in our dealings with others, isn't it? That we sacrifice a lot for somebody and they don't even notice. I mean, not only they're not, they're not even aware that we sacrifice for them. You know, or, or, or they're vaguely aware, but they just take it as it was our duty and we had to do it. Well, yeah, you went to work every day, but you're my husband. Of course you did that. That's, that's what you're supposed to do as my husband. I mean, why should I even notice it? Or, you know, you're cleaning the house and you're cooking, but you're the wife. That's just your duty. And why should I even notice it? This is, it's very, very, very common. We forget that everything's voluntary. You know, even if I'm the wife, I'm still voluntarily cooking every day, I did, or whatever I do as a wife. You know, it, it's still voluntary. And we forget it. We don't even know. Either we don't notice it, or we notice it and we discount it. Oh, that's just your job? You're just doing your job? As if that makes it somehow meaningless? Or we just see the faults? You know, yeah, you're working hard and you give me this beautiful house, but you've just come home and read the newspaper and don't talk to me for half an hour. So who cares? You know, this is very, very common. You know, Prabhupada talked about the man who's ready to take sannyas when he's older. And he says, I've given, you know, whatever, 30, 40 years of service to the family, now it's time for me to take sannyas. And the wife says, what have you done? You haven't done anything. I think, and children do this, you know, they get to be teenagers and they say to their parents, what are you doing for me? You're not doing anything for me. I was talking to one parent the other day who was saying, they said to their child, you know, this is your time now, you're in school, you don't have to work for a living, you're being given a place to live, you're being given food to eat, take advantage of this time, we're maintaining you, and be a good student. But often the kids, what are you doing for me? I don't see you doing So this is the, the general problem of ingratitude. And when Krishna talks to the gopis about the different kinds of relationships in this world, they give three, and he expands them to nine. And, he, and Krishna gives several categories of people who are ungrateful, and one is just the foolish person who just doesn't even see what others are doing for them. Other people are doing something for me? Who's doing something for me? Nobody's doing anything. Then there's the person who just who even hates the person who's doing something, something for them. Hates them for no reason. Just simply hates them. And we see this also a lot. Employers who, employees who hate their employers. Right? Devotees in the temple, they hate the town president, or children who hate their parents, or wives who hate their husbands. Citizens who hate the government. Very common, even for no reason. And then there's those who hate for some reason. Yeah, they have some reason. Okay, yes, you're doing so many things for me, but you also did this mistake. So worst are the, the, the least culpable are the fools who just don't even notice. Then a little greater culpability of those who hate, but they have a reason to hate. That there's some fault in the other. Of course, there's always a fault in anybody. 
Then worse than that are those who hate for no reason. And worse than that are those who don't just hate for no reason, but who actually harm. So those who, you know, you're doing everything for somebody and they turn around and hurt you for no reason. Have we all had people deal with us like this? You know, that we're giving and 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 the person doesn't notice what we're giving. They don't even see it. Or they just pick on some fault of ours and they meditate on that. Or even with no fault, they become angry. Or even with no fault, they attack us in return. So this is a, it's one of the main sources of pain in this world. You know, that, that I give and give and give and there's not gratitude. Of course, we can also consider how grateful we are. You know, to what extent do we notice what others are doing? We, we tend to focus on what I'm doing. This is what I'm giving. But to what extent do we really become aware of what others are giving? So Krishna is so grateful that we, in the soul, in our pure form, we're so grateful that Krishna notices every little thing that anyone does for him. And he doesn't take the faults into consideration. He just really doesn't take them very seriously at all. So here's Krishna's example. When I was away from Draupadi, she cried with the words, Hey, Govinda, this call for me has put me in her debt, and that indebtedness is gradually increasing in my heart. So again, most conditioned souls don't feel like that. If someone's in trouble, they're like, Oh, Arila, why are you bothering me? Yeah, I don't feel immediately indebted, and that indebtedness increasing and increasing and increasing. Whereas Krishna, one time Draupadi says, Hey, Govinda! And his feeling of indebtedness from that keeps increasing. The statement by Krishna gives evidence of how one can please the Lord, the Supreme Lord, simply by addressing him, Hey, Krishna, hey, Govinda. The Maha Mantra, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare, is also simply an address to the Lord and his energy. So to anyone who is constantly engaged in addressing the Lord and his energy, we can imagine how much the Supreme Lord is obliged. It is impossible for the Lord to ever forget such a devotee. It is clearly stated in this verse that anyone who addresses the Lord immediately attracts the attention of the Lord, who always remains obliged to him. Another instance of Krishna's feeling of obligation is stated in connection in his dealings with Jambavan. When the Lord was present as Lord Ramachandra, Jambavan, the great king of the monkeys, rendered very faithful service to him. Actually, usually Jambavan is called the king of the bears. Here he's called the king of the monkeys. And uh, you'll see sometimes in the Hindu comics and movies that Jambavan is presented as a bear. And Prabhupada specifically said that he was not a bear. He said he was a, like a tribal the problem is that if he was a bear, Krishna would not have married his daughter. Krishna is not going to marry a bear. <laughs> so he was some, some tribal who had a lot of, of control over the animals in the forest. So he was, he was the controller of the bears and the monkeys in the forest. When the Lord was present as Lord Ramachandra, Jamavan, the great king of the monkeys, rendered very faithful service to him. When the Lord again appeared as Lord Krishna, he married Jambavan's daughter and paid him all respects that is generally given to his superiors. So Jambavan then became his father-in-law. So that's how Krishna repaid his debt, his gratitude. Oh, you rendered me service, I'll marry your daughter, become part of your family. 
Any honest person is obliged to his friend if some service has been rendered unto him. Any honest person is obliged to his friend if some service has been rendered unto him. Since Krishna is a supreme honest personality, how can he forget an obligation to his servitor? So it's very nice to meditate on Krishna's qualities. We are supposed to be regularly meditating on Krishna's name, form, qualities, and pastimes. And it's quite easy to meditate on Krishna's qualities, even within this world. Even we can see so many of these qualities of Krishna manifest even in the material objects, which are his energy. Like I said, the birds display Krishna's artistic sense, right? Krishna's cleverness. I mean, some of these things we can see just in the world around us that can remind us of Krishna. We talked about this before, right? How the material objects remind us of Krishna's qualities. And we should realize that, again, we have these qualities ourselves. We should act in such a way as to awaken those qualities and to appreciate that every jiva ultimately also has these qualities of Krishna. So, thank you very much. Um, I don't think we have time for questions because it's 9.05. Shilkrabhadakija. Yeah. Yeah.